0: Good morning. Quincy, thank you so much. That was awesome. Worship team, thank you all too. I'm going to speak just a little bit to make sure that I start hearing myself. Um, is it coming through there? Can you hear my slurps? There we go. Super mixed reaction to that. Wow. Okay. So, um, we're going to talk about sort of agreeing to disagree this morning. And we're going to start there. And then if I'm successful, we'll wander very far away from that topic. And you'll wonder how we got where we got. So that's sort of the theme because that question, the question of like, when do we agree to disagree with each other, came up in the survey we did at the beginning of the semester about some ideas, some questions you guys have about conflict. And that's one that came up from a few of y'all. So we thought we'd, we'd touch on that. And uh, in general, it's going of, bleed into lots of stuff about conflict. So um, uh, we'll just start there. And one thing I want to say right off the bat is that I've noticed recently the number of you who are trying to get me to be interested in and watch some sort of reality TV show has started to increase. Um, And so I want to take this opportunity to say right now that I am agreeing to disagree with you. I will not be watching Great British Bake Off, Survivor, um, bachelor, bachelorette, all those. And just now you guys know, we've addressed the whole big elephant in the room. Sorry, Sterling. Sorry, Sammy. Sorry, whoever else was trying to get me to watch whatever yesterday. But in all seriousness, that's not really what we mean by agree, to disagree. That's kind of a really good example of what it shouldn't be. Um, there can be a tendency in our community, I know because I've done this, to sort of have this idea of like, disagreeing with somebody from a distance (laughs) without really ever actually talking about it with them. Sort of just taking this idea of like, okay, from afar, I think I'm going to have a different feeling about that from them. So it probably wouldn't even be fruitful to go into this conflict and talk about our differences here. So let me just silently, quietly in my own brain, agree to disagree with them. And that is not what we're going to be talking about. We're talking about how to have conflict with each other and how to work through it, not how to... Just not have it and avoid it. So that's what happens for me sometimes when I agree to disagree with people. It's just that I did it in my own mind and I'm like, hmm, I'm pretty sure there's nothing they could do that would change my mind. So let's just not even go there. And I think sometimes the, op- the, the preference to not do that, to not discuss our conflict, is more of a preference to just stew on what we are mad about or annoyed about or whatever. And at worst, it ends up being something that turns into gossip because we'd rather just talk to people that already think like we think about a thing, rather than talking to somebody who thinks differently. So that's just something that came to mind as I was thinking about this topic. It's not really a point. It's sort of just a side thought that kept coming to mind. So hopefully, I pray that's useful for t- for t- to touch on. And if not, then, um, then let it fall out of your mind. So I think a better way to think about agreeing to disagree would be to rightly and accurately prioritize our differences and disagreements and attribute them the correct amount of weight and looking to God to be our guide for that. Does that make sense? So giving things the right amount of weight, things that are really important that make sense to really disagree about and things that do not and are not important like reality TV shows. That is a great one to disagree, disagree about and not have it be something that really affects your friendship. So I want to look at some ways that Jesus spoke into com- the conflicts around him or even just how he communicated with people who had super different points of view from him and uh, let that be our guide on some of this. And then also look at how Paul spoke into situations like this too. So we'll kind of look at Jesus and Paul today. So my first point on the Jesus section is that Jesus was about people over ideas. Okay. People over ideas, there's honestly tons of ways that Jesus makes that position very clear. A great starting place is in the verse that has kind of accidentally become the theme for this sermon series, John 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll, keep, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things, bless you, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. That's a pretty heavy dose of love there. And that's one of Jesus' strongest points, what we've been talking about pretty much every week. So to start off, I want us to say that in the sense that like, we can get ourselves set up, I think, for the wrong mindset or the wrong kinds of conflict when we have our sights firmly set on our ideas, we have our our mind really set on the ideas that we hold instead of the people that are around us, the people God's placed in our lives. We have a priority set on establishing or defending our thoughts or defending our positions. It'd be pretty easy not to love somebody. And so rather than think about our ideas as our objective in life, I think it's clear to Jesus that loving people loving the person he's put next to us is our objective. That's our our first priority. Ideas are obviously important, but our first priority has to be to love the people that God's put around us. I think Jesus showcases this really well in what might be a pretty shocking way to the people that were around him in Luke chapter seven. If you want to tap over to there real quick. It's the story of the centurion. So Luke chapter seven, verse one. When he had concluded saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum, a centurion's servant who was a high, who was highly valued by him was sick and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him requesting him to come and save the life of his servant. When they reached Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he's worthy for you to grant this because he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, since I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus heard this and was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found so great a faith in Israel. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found that the servant was in good health. So this centurion, a Roman who's occupying Israel, leading many soldiers to help control, keep control of Israel, who Jesus and his followers would probably have many, many, disagreements with, many different points of view about, many things that would not align with. And he's not only treated well by Jesus, but is also given admiration on this specific story. Imagine someone you know that you disagree with, them on 99 things, maybe, and imagine them saying one thing that you agree with. (laughs) You probably have a hard time saying, I agree with you out loud. And you probably also wouldn't want to go on to compliment them. You'd probably want to say, but on all these other things, dude, you and I are not on the same page. You wanna really focus on those other things. And so it'd be really hard to compliment, admire someone for a thing they said like that. And in this case, Jesus does that to all these people who would have all these really strong feelings about the Romans, really strong feelings about centurions. And Jesus not only heals his servant, but also really, really compliments his faith. I've not seen faith this great in Israel, but it's a Roman guy who's here and doing stuff you guys don't like. Isn't that interesting? That is such a complicated story. We probably don't have time to talk about all elements of that. But there, Jesus is all about loving a person and taking a break from the ideas they have differences about. Isn't that interesting? He not only heals the servant, but he also really admires and preaches and points to, as an example, the faith that that centurion has. So lots of these kinds of stories get more interesting the more you think about them, the more context you get to them but just really think about how Jesus cared much more about the person, much more about the centurion, much more about the servant um, than the other ideas they might differ on. And in this situation for this amount of time, that's what Jesus prioritized. Another situation where this comes up um, in a pretty interesting way with someone that normally might think Jesus would have a lot of agreement with is John. The baptizer is also right there in Luke seven verse 18. Then John's disciples told him about all these things. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord asking, are you the one who's going to come or should we expect someone else? Like, hmm, is this right? Is this what we're supposed to be doing? When the men reached him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who's to come or should we expect somebody else? I put that in there twice. Sorry, guys. (laughs) At that time, Jesus healed many people, of diseases, afflictions, and evil spirits, and he granted sight to many blind people. He replied to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor are told the good news, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. After John's messengers left, he began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothes? See, those who are splendidly dressed and live in luxury are in royal palaces. So what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it's written, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He'll prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is also super interesting. Who knows exactly what's going through John's head? But he's doubting for some reason. He's doubting what's going on with Jesus' ministry. Um, and John himself was a very polarizing and controversial character. A lot of people, you know, were not sure what to make of him, especially the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees. And now something about Jesus' ministry is not totally sitting with John. He's a little worried. Jesus has sort of one-upped John in the controversy (laughs) department, I guess. So they're not on the same page here or disagreeing, if you will. The blind are seeing, how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to that? Rather than really getting offended, which I think if it was me, I might get offended if I was the Messiah. And someone was kind of like, hey man, are you sure you're the Messiah? I might be a little offended and feel fine about it. You know what I'm saying? But here's how Jesus responds. The, The blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed. The poor are hearing the good news. He just says all these things that are happening to people, people that Jesus is ministering to all these good things, not only that we're prophesied about, but rather than really clearly address exactly what John's kind of asking about, like is somebody else coming or are you the one? He's like, John, look at what's all hap- What else happening here? All this good stuff is happening. I'm doing not only what's prophesied about, but I'm focusing all my time and energy and resources on people sharing the good news with the poor raising the dead, all these things. Jesus was about people. And he reminds John in that moment with that message he sends back to him about what is important. He reminds him, this is the work I've come to do of the truth. He, Jesus could have descended into maybe being offended, like I said, but instead he just reminds him, here's what I came to do. Here's the truth. Here's what's important. And, uh, and that's, I think, just so interesting. He, and then after that, he acknowledges John's importance to being sent before him and his role in Jesus's ministry. And then also talks about his greatness. He compliments him. And then also at the same time, reminds people that the kingdom of God is not really about greatness. It's a really interesting response. He just really sidesteps what I think would be a normal way to kind of respond in disagreement or conflict for a lot of us. He just goes right around that and goes to what he thinks is important to talk about and share about. While at the same time, not telling everyone, yeah, John's kind of doubting, yikes. Um, you know, maybe you don't listen to him anymore. He doesn't do that at all. He just goes right around that and says, no one else has been born that's greater than John. Isn't that interesting? It's very strange. So speaking of greatness, the disciples also seem to kind of be worried about greatness. <laughs> there's times where they argued about that a lot. And so in Luke 22, there's one account we have of this argument that the disciples seem to have about greatness And um, this one's been referenced somewhat recently as well. I can't remember if it was me or somebody else or both or all the above, but we'll just check it out again. So Luke 22, verse 24. Then a dispute arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them have called themselves benefactors. But it is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest and whoever leads like the one serving. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I'm among you as the one who serves. You are those who stood by me in my trials. I bestow on you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. There's obviously like tons of things we could talk about on this, but here's why I think it came to mind for me. It's just that they're arguing about something that to them seems super important. It's of utmost importance about who's going to be great in this kingdom. When Jesus comes and takes over and gets Rome out of here, who's going to be great. Like think I'm going to be greater. I've sort of been walking beside Jesus more often than you have all that stuff that they're arguing about. They think is so important. And then Jesus joins the conversation and does he really dive into the conflict and start to kind of parse out, you know, whose arguments are what and, do I think that Peter has a pretty good case for why he'd be greater? And do I think I'm agreeing with him more or John? What, does he go into that? No, he really doesn't. He says, this is not even the right kind of conflict to be having. You guys aren't even thinking about the right things. It should not be this way with you. I'm calling you to a completely different kind of thinking and a really different kind of living. And uh, then he talks about what the kingdom of God going to be like instead, does not go into, you guys are being great, And he tries to very clearly flip their idea of great on its head and say like, yeah, isn't the person sitting at the table being served better? But here I am. I'm here to serve. I'm not here to be served. I'm not here to be the one at the table getting the best seat and the best food and stuff. And I'm calling you guys to follow my example. So I would not be surprised uh, if Jesus would say something like this to many of our conflicts that we have, that that we take a lot of time and concern and sweat and mental space about where the real problem really isn't necessarily that one of us is really right or wrong. It's that neither of us are actually on God's agenda. And that's the real problem. I think that happens all the time with us. And I'm kind of myself very much in that camp. So please don't feel like I'm calling you out uh, more than I am myself. So one assignment I have about this, I think is a cool example. Um, Josh McGinty referenced the chosen earlier. If you have not uh, watched the chosen, um, Mateo's kind of laughing because I've tried so hard to get him to watch it. Several of you, I have tried to get you to watch it and you haven't watched it. And you have no excuse. No excuse. It's on your app. If you've watched a TV show since the time I told you about The Chosen Last, you've got no excuse. Sorry. So in season two, it'll take you a little bit to get there. But there's a time. Yeah, Mateo just repented, guys. So um, there's a really cool moment where Jesus very intentionally sends Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Simon, to go on an errand together. I won't tell you the details, just to give a little bit of so I don't spoil it too much. And they do not want to be together. They are have been in Jesus's sort of troop for a little while, but their differences to them are so strong still. Uh, Simon is not cool about Matthew having been a tax collector, and in the story that they they present it as Matthew was actually Simon's actual tax collector. So they had all this conflict before, and then they end up both being followers of Jesus. So. Jesus sends them, makes them go on, do on this task that is more important than the differences that they have and kind of forces them together. It's a really cool way of doing it. So definitely watch the chosen. You'll know that moment when you get to it in season two, uh, download the chosen app. That's the best way to watch it. I think it's a pretty good example of Jesus. Um, he probably did that kind of stuff with the disciples. This is not that exact story is not in the gospels, but he probably did that. He probably put them together, tried to get them to realize that their differences are not as significant as their similarities. So Jesus was about people over ideas. That's how Jesus did it. I want to look also a little bit at Paul. Paul was church planting, of course, and he knew a thing or two about conflicts and disagreements. (laughs) He's addressing them all over the place in his letters pretty much constantly. And so um, we're going to look at just a couple examples of that. And the point that I want to kind of be the umbrella of this is that Paul was about unity, not uniformity. Paul was about unity, not uniformity. The first section we'll look at here is Galatians three. Now this is one of those passages that can easily get misused all the time. um, especially when you're talking about race. So don't, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit, but not, that's not our biggest priority here, but, um, Galatians three verse 23. Before this faith came, we were confined under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith was revealed. The law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. But since that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. For through faith, you're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. Through faith, you're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So Paul is not saying here to stop having those identities at all. That's one of the ways people misinterpret this. Paul is not saying to stop just calling yourself a Jew or Gentile or stop just being a male or female or whatever. But he is saying to stop trying to make other people look like you a lot of times what was happening, the Jews are trying to say, hey, shouldn't these guys be getting circumcised? Like that's kind of how we do it. And it's pretty cool. So we should get them to get circumcised, right? And the Gentiles are like, absolutely not. We don't want to do that. Why should we, you know, it's a huge conflict. And one of the biggest reasons why this came up so many times in so many churches is because Paul was writing to churches that were so diverse at the time, the culture was not used to experiencing having Jews and Gentiles mixed together in one like place to worship. And also people who were like rich and poor mixed together in one place of worship. There was a lot of diversity here that had never happened before. And so tons of new ways to have conflict were coming out of this. And I think sometimes <clears throat> that kind of stuff can get woven into our disagreements, or perhaps perhaps an unconscious desire to make the other person be more like me rather than more like Jesus. Now I think that gets mixed in, it's hard to parse out. So Obviously we're trying to make each other look like Jesus. We're trying to also look like Jesus. So there's important reasons to call each other on our behavior, but we have to make sure it's not to just make you be more like me and not to make you look more like somebody else. We all are trying to look more like Jesus. Paul takes really careful measures not to say that they should all become the same. And he does that in a few other places too. So like in Romans 12, this is where we get one of his ways of describing the different parts of the body of believers and using an actual body as the analogy. Romans 12, 12, verse three, for by the grace given to me, I tell you, everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, all the parts do not have the same function. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. And he goes on to talk a lot more about that. That whole chapter is great, but different parts of the body. We're not all supposed to be the same, but we are supposed to be unified one body, but he's not saying that we should all become the same. So you got to understand that what he's appealing to is to make that unity and make sure that he kind of walks that line of like, some people really want people to look the same and be the same and act the same, but we do need to be unified. So it's a hard thing to balance when you talk about this and address these conflicts. Out of the differences, he wants them to be unified and to not let the difference that they do have, that they will maintain their different giftings, their different backgrounds, their poor or rich before, if they were a Jew or Gentile before, not to change those things, but also not to have those things be what divide them as a church. Does that make sense? So don't get rid of it, but don't let it divide you at the same time. But absolutely, there will definitely be differences. And that is a very good thing. And this is a good analogy for it. We need different people. We need different types. We need different styles. We need different giftings. We need different backgrounds. We need all of that stuff. So Paul is trying to say firsthand that we are not trying to make that be the case because we need each other. We're not trying to push people through a mold that makes them be the same as us. So I think Paul has really like plenty of great appeals to unity. It's hard to pick some. There are a couple that came to mind for me that I chose. Um, There are plenty more. So the first one, and this is just talking about how important it is to be unified is Ephesians four in verse 31. Let all bitterness, anger and wrath shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Just like reminding that this is a kind of a level playing field in a lot of ways. We all equally, desperately were in need of, of Jesus's forgiveness. And so that starts us on a pretty important note with each other. Let us put all the other stuff aside and be reminded to be kind and compassionate. We all were just as in need of forgiveness as the other one. And then in Colossians 3, verse 12, I'll give you just a second to get this. This one's a little bit longer, but equally good. Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were also called in one body, rule your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Kind of reminds me of the thankfulness that Quincy was talking about. That's a great starting point for this. So I think uh, one of the things that I immediately thought of is, is the value that we talked about, one of our church's values uh, back when we did the vision, mission, values uh, talk at the retreat. So if you haven't listened to that, you can go listen to it on the podcast. But just that simple devotion to Jesus is the value that we have. It's a doctrine of inclusion. It starts with what we have the same. We are all in need of God's forgiveness. We're all in need of Christ's forgiveness. And we start with that. And if people are following Jesus and calling him Lord, we start on on the same page in a lot of ways. And the the other things, the other differences we have follow from there, they're worth discussing, but it is very important to remember, there's this foundation that we have with each other of love out of a mutual need for God's forgiveness. So I have a very, you know, it's hard whenever you're doing something like this to think of conflicts you've had and you're like, hmm, can I share about that one? And if I do, will I give it a super like one-sided point of view? And will I call out somebody either who's here or that's not here? And that's pretty unfair. So I picked a friend of mine who's not here, Austin Gage, who some of you guys know. And I picked a very humorous uh, argument we had that you guys might have different opinions on too. So it won't be like a one-sided deal. So when Austin and I were both our first year here at UNT, we were random roommates. We ended up getting involved in Focus. It was a cool deal. We were good buddies. We also disagreed about tons of things. One of them was back in the day, you guys might not know this, but before we started calling Marvel movies the MCU, there was like only like three or four movies and everybody talked about them. And Austin and I could not agree on which movie was better. Thor, which I think is horrible, and it is, or Captain America, the first one. They were only one of all these at the time. So we did to specify. We could not agree. And I will tell you, we talked about it so many times thinking we could convince the other one that we were right. We'd bring other people in from our hall and start like being like, oh so wait, wait, come here for a second. So Captain America, definitely better, right, than Thor. And we just tried to make it basically a whole argument on our wing. And um, that's, that's something to this day we have not agreed about. I have not found a way to kind of come over to the other side about that. But what did we do? At some point, we realized how dumb that was. And we needed to just agree to disagree on that because it is not super important to our friendship that we love all the same movies (laughs) or feel as strongly about them. Now, that's an easy one. I realize most of our arguments with each other that kind of go deep and never get resolved or whatever aren't as simple as movies. They could be deeper than that. They could be political differences. They could be um, things that we've done to each other. They could be um, habits. I don't know what it is, but a lot of the things that we have conflict about are not quite as simple as that. But I do I do want to bring up Austin because I cannot think of a friend that I have probably disagreed with more on more things than Austin Gage. Maybe Melissa, but yeah, maybe Melissa. But Austin and I have had more years of friendship, so more chances to disagree. Um, but we've had so much time to disagree about stuff. We've had small disagreements about um movies and stuff like that, but also big ones like things like how to lead a small group together. We were we were Kofas our first year or how to, uh, who to invite to Sikkim, or where to live, how to date back when we were bachelors and stuff. Um, whether it's okay to say happy holidays or Merry Christmas to strangers and stuff like that. We had a pretty knockout conversation about that one time. So if you can believe it. That was before Starbucks cups and stuff like that. It was, yeah, we were ahead of the, the curve there. But I can tell you this honestly, that those things did not significantly negatively affect our friendship. Now, some of those arguments definitely challenged each of us to live and think more like Jesus than than we already were. So that was super good that we had those arguments and disagreements. But others were honestly just at the end of the day, not super important. They were low on the priority scale, low on the priority scale in terms of the kingdom of God. We still had way more in common in our love for each other. That was really important. That made it easy to disagree on stuff if we loved each other and we knew that we loved each other. We also had so much in common in our love for Jesus, we had a lot in common in our commitment to follow Jesus. We had a lot in common in our love for the people that God placed around us um, in our small groups, in focus, in our in our residence hall and stuff like that. We we knew that we had a very strong mutual mission, mutual vision, and that vastly out prioritized our differences. And so that uh, that's what my friendship with Austin Gage has looked like. If you ever if you know him or have ever met him, you can absolutely tell him all the stuff. And uh, nothing needs to be hidden from him about this. And I would love to hear how he would try to convince you to his side about the Thor conversation. So, and I'm sure that he would, by the way. This this argument will go with us to the grave, but we did set it aside. We have not outright argued about it. It's more like a cold war now, you know what I'm saying? So, okay. So that leads me to like my final and much shorter point is kind of a reorganizing of some of the ideas we've just talked about already is just that our love for people will by far have a greater effect on them than our ideas and then our opinions. Our love for them will have a much stronger effect on them than our ideas or opinions. I don't have just a ton here, but I think this underlines some of the things that we've already seen from Jesus. We've already seen from Paul. I think one way to kind of look at a scripture that does talk about this a little bit um, and an idea that I wish we had more time to just to discuss and time to go into on its own sermon is the idea of mourning with those who mourn, rejoicing with those who rejoice. I'll read that scripture real quick. It's also in Romans 12, which we referenced earlier. Let love be without hypocrisy, detest evil, cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless, do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. And I really cannot tell you how powerful that kind of approach is to empathize with people. It's like actually in the Bible here and show that we are empathizing with them. You know, it's not just like internal mental thing. What an idea. It's right here in the Bible, 2,000 years ago, Jesus caring about a Roman centurion's sixth servant, empathizing with him about that. Us caring about the difficult things that someone's going through. That means so much more than maybe the ideas we might share with them, the tactics we might give them. Just caring about it first, loving them, caring about what they're going through, celebrating something that somebody's going through that they have been able to accomplish or do or good things happen to them. Even if everything's not great in my life at the moment. Empathizing with them, being able to surround them, love them, celebrate with them at the same time, even if I'm in a different spot right now. Caring about what people around me are going through, matching that. And if we do that for each other, it makes all the world a difference. It should not not really be a one-way thing, but we're called to it either way. So my own experience, the experience of many of you I, that I've heard from in our community in this kind of way have been really mostly good. I've heard great stories I've experienced firsthand a lot of love and empathy and care for the hard things that happened with me or people being excited with him and I about stuff like having a kid, like you guys were all, I mean, Ezra was like, God, is getting the most attention more than he should have in a lot of ways because he was like the first baby in a while. You know what I mean? But uh, you guys have done a great job with that for us. And I know other people you have as well, but at the same time, no community including us is perfect on this. And sometimes I hear about things that people in this room have said to each other or think about each other or have said to each other about each other, whatever. And it makes me really, really, really sad. There are things in our community that do look a lot like Jesus, but there are things that are absolutely so far from him. We have to recognize that there's a lot of good, but there are things in our hearts that end up spilling out um, that are really far from Jesus. That is not good. We really need to bring that stuff to him, recognizing ourselves and each other and bring it to him. At one point, Jesus describes the daily routine of following him, following him like this in a very glamorous way. He says, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me for whoever wants to save his life will lose it whoever loses his life because of me will save it for what does it benefit someone? If he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself, that will not be in Jeff Bezos's memoir. I'll tell you that much. This is the way not to succeed in the world's way. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow Jesus, give up your life and you will save it. This is hard stuff. It's about sacrificing our stuff being willing to, to give it up, to give it to Jesus, surrender all that messiness, all the imperfections that we have, all the stuff that's unresolved. And for the sake of one another and for loving Jesus, we give it up to him. One of the things that I couldn't not talk about when thinking about conflict this week, and I was talking with him about this, so I was like, I don't, I can't think of, think of a neat way to insert this in because it's not like a cool story that has a cool, Resolution to it, but I—it's just on my heart, so I'll just share it about with you guys. But I have a pretty massive, like, impasse right now with my dad. Uh, our relationship's pretty horrible right now, and I'll tell you details later. I can do that one-on-one or whatever. I'm—I'm I'm fine telling you about it. But basically, I'm at a place where I've like opinioned and ideated the absolute heck out of him. I cannot imagine there being more things to say. Like, what left can I say? How much more clearly? Or convincingly, can I word something to him? Is there anything else I can do? I just feel like I'm at the end of my rope there. And so my counselor has encouraged me to seek a way to express love to my dad, separate from the part of me that wants to keep trying to convince him to see the things he's done wrong in our relationship. And he has done tons of wrong things, things he's done wrong to other people, to my other family members. And I'll tell you, I have not figured that out. What a challenge, a way to, to, to express love to my dad without trying to share my ideas and thoughts and stuff that are valid, right? That's so hard. I have not figured it out. It is by far the biggest hurdle I can possibly think of in my life that's come up in terms of conflict, in terms of having to love somebody when it's hard. So TBD, all right, <laughs> on that one, uh, we'll see how that goes. I'll let you know when I, when I crack that code. So just to wrap up this, whatever it was, uh, that we're talking about, um, I want to challenge you to pass your conflicts. Probably something's come to mind while we've been talking about conflict. If not, then wow, you are awesome. And you have a totally clear conscience. It is hard not to, even while I was preparing this, I kept thinking of so many conflicts I've had that I've done poorly at. (laughs) And, uh, I want to challenge you to pass your conflicts small and large through the lens of Jesus. Look to him as your guide. Don't think something's too small or silly to pray about and bring to him because sometimes it is the small, silly things that really get under our skin and other people's skin too. Small little things that that hurt each other's feelings. You know what I'm saying? So pass those things through the lens of Jesus. Maybe something or someone has already been on your heart this whole morning. I want to urge you to spend some time praying about that person and that conflict this week. And then whatever the Lord tells you to do and puts on your heart, don't delay in doing it. Don't, wait on that. Whatever it is, maybe nothing is coming to mind for you at the moment. And I would ask you to just spend some time praying about that and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's any ways that you've been erring in your relationships. You might not be aware of them. So actually ask the Holy Spirit to tell you, and then don't delay in whatever the Lord wants you to do. Whatever he puts in your heart, just don't waste any time. I want to tell you firsthand that this can be super, super very hard. I think I don't need to. I think I'm preaching to the choir here on that. Jesus's way of navigating conflict is like a steep learning curve for all of us goobers. Okay. It is not our main way. He calls us toward addressing conflict, to love when it hurts, to disagree, and then double down on love. He calls us toward selflessness, servanthood, he calls us to think heavenward, to think in line with his upside down style of kingdom and to remind each other to do that as well. So that's, that's the assignment I give you. Um, let me kind of wrap this whole deal up in a prayer and just ask God to help us with this. Cause we really need it. Um, Lord, you're so good. And um, just thank you for giving us each other and for modeling what it looks like to really speak into tough conversations, and modeling what it looks like to love, despite many, many reasons to uh, want to do the opposite. Um, You were a Jewish person also. You grew up in occupied uh, Israel by the Romans, and yet you cared about a centurion servant and wanted to to heal him. Or that kind of example, calling us to to live like you, but knowing that you've also done that stuff, you've done that in a way that I have to imagine, weren't always easy. Lord, please help us just to stumble through this life and uh, help each other to do that. And, um, help us to love each other. Even when it's really hard, um, please bring to mind to us this week, ways that we need to resolve conflict with each other, to ask for forgiveness, to forgive, um, man, God, this is the hard stuff, and we just thank you that you're here with us in the middle of it um, that we can turn to you and lean heavily on you to be able to do this. You allow us to forgive more than we think we can. you allow us to love beyond our means beyond what our really our limits really are. Um, God just help us to do that and just give us wisdom, your wisdom um, to to do things in a way that is not how the world works and not how we want to work. We really, really, really need you. Change our hearts from the inside. Help that change to overflow and be evident to other people around us. Help us just to spread that transformational love to each other, Lord. You're so good. We love you so much. Let me pray. Amen.
1: Um, I was just going to share, I was going to take this time. Um, I asked jam, I wasn't sure like when the time to share, but, um, it just went really, I felt like it really fit with the message that he had this morning, but I, I actually had a vision like a few months ago and it was like, you know, when you're laying in bed and you're pretty much like asleep, but then you're like, Whoa. Um, and I saw these, these two large mountains that were just like equal. They were like, just like this. And then they were like popping up kind of all over the place. And they were our ideas and our opinions in this time. And so a lot of like things just, you know, in this age, this time came up like mask, no mask, you know, vaccine, no vaccine, this, 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 like you can, whatever comes to mind during this time of a conflict or ideas that we are really holding on to really tightly. And then I saw this giant foot that just kind of like came down and it crushed both of these mountains. And I just heard, um, you're foolish or your wisdom is foolishness to me. And then I saw this pathway light up and I heard the Lord say like, now I'm going to teach you how to walk in love. And, um, that obviously really struck me because I was like, Oh man, Lord, <laughs> all these ideas that I've been having that I'm really holding on to, you know, the, in my eyes, they're so wise. And I'm trying to convince, you know, maybe convince all these other people of these different things that I think are so important and they are important, you know, they are important. I'm not discrediting those things, but that the way that the Lord would want to, speak and move and bring us together is a different way. It's not through our own wisdom of convincing other people, but it's a different path of love. And so I've been praying and asking the Lord over these last few months, like, okay, God, what is the way of love? What is the way of love? And how do I lay down my own ideas and my own opinions and walk in love? And so just as Jam was preaching just about our ideas and Instead, that there's a way of love, I think, particularly in this time, um, in this day and age, in this season that we're in, there's a way that the Lord will provide for us to be love to people um, and unify the church, particularly. So, yeah, just want to share.
2: Hello, can you guys hear me? That's a good message. I think as um I'm a a, I'm a scientist and so I try to do everything from like an objective evidence point of view and God has also really been putting on my heart lately to try to love first and not that thinking's not important, because I think it is, but like <laughs> I want to do everything from that perspective, so that's a great reminder, Brittany. Well, hi, I'm Melissa. I was going to introduce myself, but uh, Jam already did when he said I am the person he argues with most often <laughs> behind Austin, which is honestly a kind of a compliment, in my opinion. <laughs> Thanks, Jam. <laughs> um, I'm going to be doing announcements today, and you... Often we'll see me do announcements because I love doing announcements because I think announcements are the time that we have to, for you to have the opportunity to be involved and be connected. So if you are a part of this community and you don't know how to give back or you don't know how to connect with people or find others to, you know, share with or to serve areas to serve, this is your chance. So this is not just a to do list or an annoying time when you check out. This is really important. So, I love giving announcements, so that's why I'm giving them today. So, first announcement you kind of picked up on this probably is we're going to be always using mics for questions and community sharing. And there's a few reasons for that. One is not all people can hear at the same level. So we want to make sure that it's very easy to hear what you're saying. The second is, even though you think you maybe can project all the way across a room, it is very difficult. And also it needs to be on the podcast. So all of those reasons come together to make it really important to use the mic. So we're going to endure the awkwardness of that brief moment where we're sharing the mics around and we're going to do that. That's really important. So the other thing also going along with the podcast is we lost our podcast person who takes the audio from each sermon and puts it up online so that if anyone missed church or whatever, they you can listen to it. And that's really important. So if you're someone who's interested in serving and you hate waking up early, maybe, or you don't want to serve in front of people, this is a nice behind the scenes way to serve consistently. That's really important. So if you're interested in that, talk to Hannah McGinty. She's right here in the front. She has nice curly hair and a stripy sweater on today. so um the other thing is there is a church survey. Oh, nope. There's one more before this. There's a pastoral cohort interest meeting December 5th. So if you're interested in learning more about pastoral ministry as an adult, this is a great opportunity for you. We'll explain a little bit more about the cohort and um, what all it would require to be involved in that. So put that on your calendars. December 5th after church. Yes. Okay. Okay. And then also there's a survey that the cohort is putting out, a missions and value survey. It should take about 10 minutes. And this is really important. I know it's hard for you to remember to do it or take time to do it, but to get a good idea of where our church is at, we need involvement on this survey. So please, please, please take time to do that. And it's available on Facebook and the newsletter. And we worked really hard to get everything on the newsletter so that if you're not in social media, it comes right to your inbox. So if you're still out of the loop, that's on you. (laughs) I used to complain all the time and we've made it equal for all now. So just get on the newsletter email. And then um, there's a lot of announcements today. These are all really important things. So hang in there with me. The next is McMath Middle School. So Andrea right over here, she's got nice um, blue mask and a uh, brown sweater on today. She works at McMath and they are doing a drive for new and gently used winter clothes, toothbrush, toothpaste, other toiletry items, plastic bags, food, all kinds of things are needed. So talk to Andrea and someone in our small group had the idea of getting together to donate. And these are for kids that maybe aren't going to have a lot of opportunities to eat or won't have the finances to have warm clothes on the winter, especially when they're not at school. So that is really, really important. And it's a community right here Inden, that we can serve. So we should care a lot about that and make that a priority. The next is church shirts. So if you haven't gotten yours yet, go talk to Jam. He has them. He's in charge. And there are a couple of extras. If you missed your chance to order one, you can talk to him about that as well. Um, we don't pass around an offering basket anymore, which I think is kind of sad. I like that, but, <laughs> um, we, you can still give to our church and that goes, all of the money that you give is, goes to either maintaining our staff or the building or to community outreach. So that's really important. So please make that a priority. You can go to dentonorthchurch.com donate. And last but not least, very exciting. Where's Coral at? Oh, she's back preparing. Okay, well, we have Coral's fundraiser lunch today after church. There's still a couple spots left if you want to come, but if you can't come, you can um, donate through, her pa- through our giving page. So you just pick Coral's Sierra, Le- Sierra Leone drop down on the options. And um, in light of that, we need to leave out 30 chairs. So when you put up your chairs, once I'm done talking, please coordinate to leave 30 out. And I think that's everything. And I hope that um, you guys have an awesome week. Yay, Coral.
1: Okay, bye. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week.